Alex Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation eh, somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about show changes and our hopes for what's coming to Linux Out Loud. Let's get into episode three. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. With me today are two of my favorite co-hosts, Nate and Matt. How's it going, guys? Fantastic. Not a complaint except for the ice. And to expand upon that, not a complaint until I had to do with me. That's fair. There we go. We got the banter rolling already. I mean, it wouldn't be this show if it wasn't started right in the intro. So I'm glad everybody's feeling good. Well, just so you see, Wendy and everybody else, Matt started it today. Do note, today. Today. Sometimes this actually starts in the show notes. That was the caveat. And it's pretty entertaining sometimes when I open the show notes and see the comments that you guys have to each other. And we haven't even kicked off the episode yet. It's definitely entertaining all around. I can't help it. Matt just pulls it from me, so... Great chemistry. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's all... You're just channeling all the trolling that I do with Michael and Ryan. You're just channeling them both into you, so therefore they have a reflection on the show. That's what I'm going with anyway. Nice excuse. I mean, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Nate, Commodore 64 is one of the things you talk about quite a bit. It seems like you just released a video on this exact topic. I did. What additional information can you give us on that? I have been using this... my Commodore 64 imposter. It's a my retro computer, my 64, originally called a C64X by Commodore USA when it was released like in 2010 or so. So Matt brought this to my attention. I was actually one of the first few people that bought it, I found out since the new company, my retro computer came out. And so I did a video on me putting together. I even illustrate the fact that I made mistakes and there are decisions I made that I probably shouldn't have. Also, how much it cost me in the end and so forth. So I did a little video on it. I've received a lot of good feedback, one from the company who released it, resold it, and who's carrying it on, and also from a couple other larger YouTubers that I watch. So I thought it was pretty cool that people actually, you know, with thousands of subscribers actually watched it. So that's kind of cool. Eventually, there will be a follow-up video with additional upgrades that I made to it and also another device that I am building to accompany it in the same retro fashion. I'm going to be tapping into my design skills and my newly purchased 3D printer to make all this happen. So I'm very excited of what's to come. Now is a really good time to be a geek and with all these tools that are available to us to express our geekdom. You were talking somewhat about your 3D printer last week. That was kind of the big thing that you had going on and getting it set up. So I know pre-show we were talking about you using that. Overall, what do you think of this 3D printer? I got an Ender 3. I think it's a great printer. I've only been printing PLA on it, but I will talk more about that in our host-related interest later on. Awesome. So do you have some projects directly related to your Commodore 64 imposter? Yes, I do. I'm designing it now, and I will be releasing those designs as well on Thingiverse so other people can download if they want to copy some of the things I'm doing you know, for themselves. I see there's probably maybe four or five people in the world that would care. But yes, there's things I'm doing related to this project and the 3D printer for sure. Now, when the maker of this case that you bought was giving you feedback on it, did they take some of your... I wouldn't say negative feedback, but some of the stuff that could be done better, because I know that you said getting cooling in this case was really, really difficult. Is that possible to change? Is that something that they're thinking about? Or would it completely mess up the overall design and feel 
of this imposter if they did that. They didn't say anything exactly like that. What they did say was that they appreciated the fact that I was one of the early adopters of it, and they thought it was a better video than what they created, which <laughs> I don't believe that. They are building new cases and more cases, and so I'm hoping that they take... There's only really one criticism I had, which is a lack of brass inserts for the screws that hold the case together. Outside of that, the case is really great. An additional spot for the cooling, or like an additional cooling fan, makes all the difference. So there is a place for that. It would be better if there was a spot for that, but I didn't cover that in the video I released. That'll be on a follow-up video. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to the projects that you have going on with this. I'm not a C64 user myself, but I do enjoy listening to your adventures with these different projects in RetroTech or making RetroTech new again. Have you looked at the revamped Atari VCS by any chance for more quote-unquote RetroTech stuff that they released about a year ago? No, I didn't know they released it. They were supposed to release something back in 2018. It's been released, just an FYI. Oh, I have not seen it, but you know, I would like to uh, check that out now. That's good. The price might make you mm, a little eh, about it, but there are some cool things about it. Okay. Not to make you buy a new hardware or anything, but... I do have an Atari 2600 case. It's empty. I don't know where it came from, but I have an empty case, just a shell. I've been noodling around some ideas for that as well. That would be non-destructive. I don't know. Maybe I'll do another mini ITX build out of that. I really haven't decided yet. Nice. That would be a heck of a lot of fun. I would love to see what that looks like if you did it. It would be. Same here. And the other thing I have to make sure that I say is what makes this Commodore 64 imposter so wonderful is it's essentially like my childhood dream computer come true. The power and capability, proper cursor keys, a nice keyboard, really nice keyboard, actually. And having this computer run OpenSUSE, so I kind of have a retro modern harmony going on here with my day-to-day -day computer use. It really is a happy place for me. And which I've said before, you know, Linux is my happy place. And this just is a cherry on that cake. Well, Matt, while I am enjoying the cherry on my cake of computer usage from day to day, you are taking your computers and streaming live for GameSphere, right? As a community, I wanted to kind of have a community game night, I guess, where the community has kind of a say on what content comes out. So we can have some time for engagement and that kind of stuff, because uh, honestly, without the community and the interaction, a lot of this content is not possible. My way of interacting with the community is, you know, obviously the game recommendations that Wendy and Nate always call me an enabler for. Well, that's true. I'm just the one bringing it to attention what you can buy. You are the ones that have the ability to say no. Yeah, but you're tempting. To be fair, I jumped on the last live stream for just a couple seconds. Like I caught it at the very, very, very end. And there just happened to be someone in that show that said, hey, I bought games that you recommended, Wendy, and so I had to own the fact that sometimes I'm an enabler too. Ha! Told you. <laughs> I'm the only one here that's not an enabler. That's the takeaway from this conversation. Yes, you are. You are the enabler of the retro tech. <laughs> yes, totally. You enable all retro tech purchases, Nate, so that is totally on you. I guess. Like Wendy mentioned, we had a uh, person in the chat who was an older person. He was around, I guess, 55 plus. He didn't really get into specifics, but wasn't a gamer at all. Like, just wasn't his thing. And over the last, I guess, year or so, he had started getting into gaming. So he was looking for like game recommendations. Because of you? Uh, oh, because of me. I want to say it's because of you. He's a Linux user <laughs> specifically, though. He was looking for game recommendations and that kind of stuff. Well, that's probably your tagline, enabling Linux users everywhere to play games that they can't afford. Is that your tagline? I can't remember. In fairness, I don't just specifically focus on Linux games, though. 
Oh, I know. Matt focuses on all over games. I definitely am more attuned to Linux games themselves because I don't want to mess with different systems. Though we are open to news about Xbox games because we do have one. So there are other gaming platforms in the house. But if I'm going to play a game, it's going to be a lot. Unless it's solitaire. And yes, I do play solitaire, actually. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit just how much I play solitaire, but I am a player. <laughs> of solitaire so if it's not solitaire on my phone then i'm sitting down to my linux system to play the game <laughs> that's not too bad i mean solitaire is a fun game i like free cell actually solitaire is the only card game i don't like playing by myself <laughs> it there. that's hilarious <laughs> so what do you think i want to say <laughs> not if they're appropriate <laughs> Oh, you can say it. When he can edit it out later. Magnus got to laugh at something. Yeah, he's going to have some entertainment while I'm standing at the computer. Anyway, so the whole point of GameSphere is to just explore gaming, the whole encompassing atmosphere, sphere, ironically, of gaming. It's whatever I own, whatever I got. Genres and all that stuff don't matter to me. I will explore stuff that even if I'm not a fan. So as an example, the community gets to decide between about five or six games, depending between on the YouTube channel in the community tab on the destination linux network youtube page they get to decide they can either subjugate me to or that can show that i'm a better gamer than ryan or michael <laughs> it really depends i like to give them a say on kind of what we play because there are games that i have no interest in that they might throw me into and just to see how i react because they generically know that i'm more of a story kind of guy and you know that's just my wheelhouse of games Ironically, we played one this past week called Spellmaster the Saga, and oh boy, I like the gothic games for the most part. This is very much like a Piranha Bytes game in that it's buggy and broken <laughs> at launch. That was an experience. That's all I'm going to say about it. They want to actually know what the entire experience is like. Yeah, go watch the show on the GameSphere YouTube channel. So that bad, huh? I'm looking at the list for this week, and the only one I've heard of was the one you've talked about so far, which was Gun Tech 2, which was our game of the week last week. I like the way that you've listed these out for people. So you've got the name of the game and then kind of the overall type of game it is. So action game, cyberpunk. I don't know what this one is. Cyberpunk isometric. Shump? Shump, is that what you called it? Shump or shoot em up is the actual term. Open world or exploration adventure. So even if they're not completely sure what the game is, if there's a specific type of game that they would like to see you play, they can kind of pick mm -hmm. from there without having to go do a whole bunch of additional research on every single game on the list. Yeah, exactly. You only have like 85 characters on a poll when it comes to like the YouTube portion, so you have to be very concise and specific. And some of the game names get a little lengthy, so you got to be short and quick with that stuff. But I want to have people just kind of have their fun, be it, in torturing me or me showing up Ryan and Michael, like, you know, because they do best at staring at the floor and dying in multiplayer games. Or they cheat in Zanotic. How do we get Among Us on this list? <laughs> yeah, that needs to be on the list. I totally well, agree. luckily for me, I'm the one that makes the list, so... <laughs> I kind of have access to the back end of that channel, so it may have to get adjusted one of these days. Well, see, here's the thing. You would have to delete that entire post. I can manage that. I mean, what? <laughs> 
Uh, good thing I put these up shorter notice than you would expect. So yeah, if you want to vote on those, they'll also be on the discourse forums as well. Those will just show up as a weekly vote kind of in the discourse forums so that people can vote on what they want among the choices that are given, not the ones that are actually going to be commented on if you go to the discourse forums, because I'm gonna pretty sure I'm going to hear among us a lot. I'm going to add my own poll to the discourse page and say how many people want to see Matt play among us and then find a way to sneak that into one of these polls. And then I'm totally going to ignore it. But we need to get the community (laughs) to put pressure on him. If Matt is really a community player, then if we get the community to say, we want to play Among Us and get everyone else on board, then I think we can probably force Matt into it. Sounds like a plan to me. I like it. Good luck with that. So while the community is trying to subjugate me to playing games that they know dang well, I'm probably not going to even if they vote on it. Wendy, what do you have going on? I have a little bit of fun listener feedback going on this week. I was getting ready to post the episode on the discourse form for the second episode of Linux Out Loud. And I came across this thread on the forum and it's titled My Complaints and Issues with the New Linux Out Loud Logo. And I'm like, oh man, this one's going to be interesting. I had no idea what kind of world that I was stepping into when I clicked on this, but it is feedback from the listeners. So I wanted to check it out. And this is what Max said. To be precise, I have no complaints or issues. The new logo is great. Congratulations. I love it. And the show, thanks. So he got me laughing. It was a total got a moment. And our listeners are just as witty and enjoy joining in the banter as we all do on the show. So thanks, Max, for the post. It was a very fun one. I made a comment below that, yeah, I had no idea what I was walking into here. And several other people have kind of made comments on the show about how they're really liking the way the episodes have been restructured, liking the music that we have as part of the show, that this upbeat really fits with the vibe of who we are as hosts and kind of the flow of the show itself. Thanks so much for that. There was another comment that I got on Mastodon. And I was sharing a bit about episode two. It hadn't been released yet, but we had this big topic, if you haven't listened to it yet, on the state of GPUs and Matt trying to find a GPU in our current world. And I was explaining about what I'd paid for my RX 580. And this is what VTV Breach said to me on Mastodon. Holy cow, I'm still using a XFX RX 488 gigabyte. I refuse to pay double MSRP for a new card. Congrats on the transition to LOL, by the way. It's really become one of my favorite Linux podcasts. I'm happy you guys now have your own independent destination. We'll get into this a little bit. We are still part of the network, but yeah, we've got our own personal spot for you guys to come find the show on YouTube if that's how you enjoy listening to the show, watching that waveform bounce on your computer screen. I wasn't sure how the community was going to respond with the changes, even though for the most part, the core of the show has really stayed the same. The way that it's been growing into over the last, what, year, year and a half, that we've kind of been together doing this show, there were a few changes. So we got to do some fun tongue-in-cheek stuff with the introduction. We've had a music change-up. And some of these different things you don't know how the long-term listeners are going to welcome those changes or not. And it really seems that our community has embraced the changes that we've made so far. 
We're so happy to have you. Thanks so much for the awesome feedback. We love having the conversations with you guys about the stuff that we talk about on the show and many other topics that go on, whether it's on Macedon in the comments of the YouTube channel. I do try to get on Odyssey every once in a while and check for comments, see what's happening there. And then all of the other sources that you can find us, Matrix, Telegram, I really, really enjoy having conversations with you guys on the discourse form, mainly because it's so much easier to keep track of what's going on in those threads. We look forward to listening to more listener feedback as we go on. This episode of Links Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so that you and your teams can get back to work doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. Predictable pricing, robust product documents, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Get support at Every stage of growth from teams of one to teams of 1,000 with simple and powerful cloud computing. Get growing at DigitalOcean. As a listener of Linux Out Loud and member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, go get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform. Go to do.co slash tux2022. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. Speaking of changes, what are some of the things that have changed on the show, some additional things that have changed on the show, and what are some of the things that we're hoping to transition to and change a little bit more as we are going through this Linux out loud journey that we're on? I already mentioned just a second ago that we're on our own YouTube channel and music, but Nate, what is something else that you would like to see coming to the show as Linux out loud? I'd like to see us do some more live events, you know, where the community can troll us. So it's not just Matt trolling me so I can have, you know, a whole plethora of people to do so. It's more fun that way. I like being able to interact with the community on a live basis. Like I really enjoy like the live recordings for Destination Linux. I enjoy the live aspect of Linux Saloon. There's some kind of an energy that you get out of when people are watching. That's something I'd like to see more of. Not every week because I know it's a little bit strenuous on our processes to do so. I certainly do enjoy it. Agreed. I really miss the fact that it's been a long time since we've done a live show. And it is really cool to see some of the feedback that's coming in live as we're doing it. It's actually one of the reasons why I love to watch the live version of This Week in Linux. Michael will be talking about something, that a community member that'll bring up a point or something on that subject. And overall, it can change or add to that topic that he's talking about. And we've seen that happen as we recorded Deal and Extend several times. We are working through some of the processes to make that happen. I would love to start being able to do a live show at least once a month, like you said, not every week. That can definitely be a strain on some of our slower internets, <clears throat> Nate and I. Yep. 
having an avenue for people to give direct feedback, it helps us to drive the conversation and what the community is interested in. The community is one of the reasons we're here. This is kind of our way of giving back too. So we obviously we want to hear what you guys are giving for feedback. We want to have you guys involved. So like for me, I love doing the live streams that we do on occasion for the show. Like you guys mentioned, I know it's a bit of a strenuous, be it for the internet or the time, because, you know, we record fairly odd time in the week that most people wouldn't. So, but I definitely enjoy it. So I would be up for doing it. You know, like even if we could only do it like once a month, I think that'd be probably something a little more doable. Now do know, I don't want to add editing a live stream to that process because we already have stressed enough schedule when it comes to editing for, you know, Wendy or when I or Nate occasionally have to do it. We don't want to add to the video portion to that. That's not going to happen. But the advantage of our stranger, I guess, recording time compared to some of the others is we do tend to get more of our European listeners that are able to join live when sometimes they can't or just due to the scheduling like it's really really late for them on the other shows and so that is nice for us and nice for them that there is this time period that it's during the day they are actually awake they're not having to stay up super super late to actually hear what's going on in the conversations in the show there is one advantage to our strange recording time or odd recording time compared to a lot of the other shows on the network that settles it let's do it i know we really need to but we need to do a test run get everything set up see how it works and right. go from there. So we need to plan a Tuesday night. Side note, ironically, Linux Saloon is fine on Saturday night. The cell network isn't stressed here, but during the day, it seems like it's more stressed. I think because of my proximity to the uh, nuclear plant and whatnot. Mm, that, you know, probably. All workers over there using their phones and whatnot. And mine is definitely more stressed in the evening. It's more residential. So people get home and they're all doing their thing at home and doing their streaming. And next thing you know, it's like, hmm, yeah, that's not working so well. Or like last week when the wind was blowing really hard and my ping dropped to over 150 milliseconds. Anyway, back on topic. Matt, is there anything that you wish this show would have in it or maybe not have in it that we're doing now? I'm like me personally, not having you in it would make it so much better. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I say that in just... I say that in seriousness. (laughs) (laughs) You seriously don't want to be in it anymore? Man, I'd miss you. I wouldn't have to deal with you. (laughs) I'd miss dealing with Wendy, but... All kidding aside, for me, the biggest thing with this show has always been about host chemistry and whatnot. If you have a show that you can't have fun with and it just becomes work and you know you just kind of uh, about even for the couple hours that we'll record throughout the week for this, it's a testament to the show overall. I'm uh, more than willing to look at different formats and all the other stuff, but for me, really, it's always been about having a core host and chemistry and that kind of stuff. And I think that aspect is totally nailed. So I don't have any, I guess, thing I would improve per se, because to me, really what does matter is the hosts and the chemistry with each other. And you can tell when people are phoning it in a lot more than others. There's no passion. There's no fun. There's just, just, it's almost like a PBS documentary with that dry delivery or watching (laughs) C-SPAN. Yeah. It was like watching C-SPAN. I don't want that in my Linux related technology stuff. I want, I want content. Yeah. I want personalities and I want joking and people having fun and that kind of stuff because Dell content is not something I enjoy for myself. While me and Nate do banter and I would say even bicker sometimes. You bicker, I banter. <laughs> 
Obensus's <laughs> installment is still terrible, by the way. It's the best, but go ahead. So for me, I think the joking around is what makes the show fun. Could we be a little more serious sometimes? Yeah, most definitely. No. Are we the most knowledgeable? What? Heck no. No. But I love the banter and that stuff. I hope that stays. And that is really my hope, my dream kind of thing for any type of show that I'm on is that level of, you know, you can call it camaraderie, you can call it friendship or my case with Nate, tolerance. Right. It's more of an e-tolerance. It's not even a total tolerance. You just have to e-tolerate me. Exactly. All bets would be off if you actually had to see me face to face. Could you imagine what this show would be like if we were in studio together? I don't know that we'd ever get the show recorded, like ever. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, that'd be tough. <laughs> and Wendy, all the if we did get the show recorded, all the editing. Oh, just forget about it. Yeah, there would be a whole lot of extra stuff to cut out. <laughs> A whole lot of extra stuff to cut out, which sometimes there is. That is probably one of the biggest changes that's happened over the last month, two months in the show, especially as we were preparing to go from deal and extend to Linux out loud. There's some things before that I was saving and putting in the end as extras. And now for the most part, those little moments actually stay in as part of the show because that is the way the conversation flows. This show really is about the conversation that we're having with each other, our personal experiences, what's going on in our day-to-day -day Linux and different tech lives. And so those moments have just now gotten to stay in the main body of the show. And I know we've had comments, Maru in particular, had said he enjoys the show, but he can't listen to it in public because he's usually laughing. And then the people are looking at him funny because he's laughing and nobody else is around him. And I told him when we switch to Linux Out Loud, it's getting worse. And yeah, we have definitely... I think, owned that Linux Out Loud name and just let more of our personality and stuff come out in the topics that we are discussing and in the conversations about our personal interests. For Maru, I kind of know what he's going through. When I used to work in a cubicle all the time, I would listen to podcasts that make me laugh. And I'm sure people thought I had Tourette's or something because I just laugh while everyone else is quiet. I bust out laughing. Yeah, that can be very embarrassing. And it's difficult to explain. Just assure them you're listening to a funny podcast. And then tell them about it. It's called Linux Out Loud. And it's very funny sometimes or whatever. I know I get to laughing as I'm editing the show, but some of that is stuff I can share with all of you, the listeners, and some of that stuff just stays between us, the hosts, that can actually get out to all of you. But I definitely get to laugh multiple times, not just as we do the show, but also while editing the show. And it's usually between hearing me and Nate bicker. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There's sometimes I have to be like, all right, children, let's settle it down and get back to work. But for the most part, it's all in good fun. <laughs> For the most part. It might be in good fun from Nate. I actually mean it. <laughs> yeah, I knew that though. <laughs> well played. Well played. This episode of Linux LR is brought to you by Bitwarden. One thing we can do to protect ourselves is having unique passwords for every online account that we have. I've been using Bitwarden for a while now to do just that. It not only helps me keep track of the many passwords I now have, it includes a random password generator, you can set the length of special characters, and so much more. But here at its open source, receives third-party security auditing, and you can get started for free by going to bitwarden.com DLN. Want some of their premium features like one gigabyte of file storage, vault health reports, or just support the project? It starts for only $10 a year. Jump over to bitwarden.com DLN to get started with your free account now.
Nate, you gave us a little bit of a teaser on some of the projects that you have going on with your new 3D printer. I'm really excited to hear about what you've currently been working on. I know your 3D printer has been super busy since it got put together. What is it currently building? Well, I shut it off for the show for good reason, so you wouldn't hear it making noises. But what I just finished printing the last part was for my Raspberry Pi rack for my two-post server thing. I'll get that put together, I think, today. I'm going to get some threaded rod. But more excitingly, I printed off... Someone else designed it on Thingiverse. It's a Super Nintendo cartridge holder. So I have all these Super Nintendo cartridges, but I don't really have a good home for them. And I was looking for a while to see if I could buy something to stick them in. But the time of the IKEA furniture that was purposely built for holding your cartridges is long gone. I decided I would look on Thingiverse you know, something that would kind of fit what it is that I want. It's a six cartridge holder you can stack up on vertical and has slots in the top and the side so you can actually print more and have them be one solid unit. And I think it's really very awesome. And it did take a day to print. It's like 21 hours is what I ended up taking. I cranked up the speed in there after some time because it was just taking so long. It's been great. So I have a bunch of cartridges. I'm going to print off like two more of these, I'm thinking. It's almost at the limit of the 3D printer. And I also would like to make a modified version of that that's just a little bit shorter so I can actually stack it on top and have a little more space in the cubbies that I'm putting it. I'll make sure to share a link in the show notes for that Thingiverse page that has the Super Nintendo cartridge holder for those that you know might be interested in such things. You know, if you're a retro gaming enthusiast and you like actual media, you know, cartridges, it's pretty great. And also, I've been printing off things for the kids, you know, the obligatory toys, whatever that the kids find on Thingiverse now. I have a backlog of things that they want. One is a gun for a Transformer toy now, and, and I printed off a monkey a little bit ago with a stick. The kids like it, actually sit and watch it, like the TV, I suppose, but it's a lot of fun to have. It opens up a whole new realm of possibilities of things to do, things to print, and so forth. I'm really intrigued by the one that you got. I'm glad that you're liking it. I look forward to hearing more reviews as time goes on. But if it's working out really good in the beginning, then it's probably one of those ones that you're going to like long term. Now, you had mentioned before when you were getting ready to put it together that it had some of these more mainstream parts. So getting things to replace or fix it should be fairly easy. As you were putting it together, did that hold true? Yes. In fact, the more I've learned and dug into it, the more that there are things that you can do. I mean, people even have upgraded controller boards for it with better stepper controllers and everything else that I guess supposedly run cooler. I don't know. So there's replacement motherboards for it. There's replacement parts. I'm sure that means you could scale the whole thing out too. It's actually, it's pretty cool. I do need to make some kind of an enclosure for it so that I can better temperature regulate the thing. But outside of that, it's basically rock solid, super awesome, ready to rock and roll to do pretty much anything that I want. Temperature regulate as in keep part of it warmer or keep part of it cooler? To keep the area, like the print area warmer. So there's some materials that are more sensitive to temperature variations in the room, like uh, ABS is one and... If you can better regulate the temperature around the print itself, you're less inclined to have peeling and curling and, and other negative effects on the print itself. So I'm thinking like I'll, I'll get some plexiglass, some Lexan or whatever, make a box for it and just have it inside that. Nothing fancy, just a big enclosure it sits inside of and have a door on the front. Awesome. I can't wait to see pictures of the enclosure on it. Yeah, that'll be a little while. I'll use cardboard in the short term if I have to. Hey, whatever works. <laughs> I'll prototype with cardboard. I'll make some corners. And Nate always improvising. Oh my God, tons of cardboard from that move. 
So <laughs> true. Actually, Nate, I'm more curious to see what you're gonna do with the 3D printer and a Steam Deck and the CAD files. To be honest, mm, I wasn't gonna mention it, but now that you you mentioned it, since those CAD files exist, I'm looking at getting some brown khaki colored filament, which interestingly looks of similar color to a Commodore 64 bread bin, and I may be doing some things with that. Can't say for sure. How is that not a shocker at all? It shouldn't be a shocker. It's not. Should be expected. It's totally expected. <laughs> well, Matt, hopefully I'm not enabling anybody to buy a 3D printer, but I'm sure you're going to enable somebody. Actually, I am, I am hoping I enable somebody to buy a 3D printer. I changed my thought on that. So what are you going to enable us to play this week? I guess you would say a first-person exploration game called Valley. This game is just fun because it has a sense of momentum to it the whole point is you're looking for your uncle like the story is not the main purpose the atmosphere and everything else are at in the world is what makes this game fun what this game is about is the environment the atmosphere and you find a, a mech suit essentially and you just run around and explore this uh world that is to your whimsical nature that you would probably like wendy as far as that so for me it's always been one of those games that it's not so much about the gameplay it's more about the atmosphere and everything else and the exploration of the game world that they have there is one interesting game mechanic in order to solve some of the puzzles there is a life death mechanic for the world you take the energy to say from one plant to revive another plant for that plant to grow that you need so you can advance wherever you need to to solve that particular platforming puzzle and vice versa and you do that quite frequently throughout the game so it's just little stuff like that, that that's really cool it's not like a heavy combat game so if that's your thing this is definitely not up anybody's alley as far as that Linux native I know there's a switch game I know there's a ps4 version I'm not sure about xbox I haven't really looked to be really honest and there's the windows and mac versions so definitely worth I think it's the 15 bucks but you can usually find it for pretty cheap and last I looked it was either mostly positive or overwhelmingly positive on steam so I actually already own this game so there you go you know it's <laughs> one that I like because I own it I've played it a bit it is definitely a very atmospheric game. I've enjoyed it. Doing the different world explorations as you're going through it. And yeah, it does have that interesting life-death component as you're doing things. And I probably haven't made it very far in the game. It's been a while since I played it. I should pick it back up again. There are some dead trees that are scattered about and then bringing them back to life and they'll drop acorns and you can use those acorns in different things. And when you die as the character, when you die, it actually kills stuff in that forest, in that environment in order to bring you back to life. Mm -hmm. So if you're not restoring things as you're going through this process, then the environment itself can't transfer the energy to bring you back alive. So it is this give and take atmosphere in the game. Really 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 pretty i love the way that the graphics were done in this definitely up my alley because i own it i played it one that i give a two thumbs up that exoskeletal suit looks very uncomfortable i wouldn't want to wear it in real life it's like you're always kneeling or something yeah yeah i suppose you run a lot faster but you know how do you charge the thing that'd be my question life energy (laughs) oh okay Sorry, for those that want the Transformer. You charge it with an AllSpark, Nate. That better. Oh, an AllSpark. There we go. I'm on board now. (laughs) 
Now he gets it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If any of you have played Story of My Uncle, the graphics in this and that game, I think are very, very similar. The action of the gameplay, I think is a lot similar. You have more flexibility in your exploration and valley for sure. But if you have played Story of My Uncle and like those type of game mechanics and that first person view, this is definitely a great one to pick up. There's another one I think it's called the Free Ones that that's very much in the same first person kind of view and that kind of stuff. So it's definitely a fun game. I enjoy it. And again, Linux native. So why am I not going to support it? I've played it pretty much mostly exclusively on Linux. So it's worked perfectly fine. I haven't had any weird issues that sometimes you get with certain native builds for the game. And it's like, oh, hey, look, the Windows one works though, <laughs> which is the weird part. Definitely pick it up. It's like 15 bucks, give or take. It's not a long game. I will say that. Again, if you're not a fan of like exploration, walking, uh, I hate the term walking simulators because that's not what this is. If you claim to support Linux native game development, support it then. And they will know if you buy it, right? If you buy it native Linux, is that somehow calculated in? So I'm not 100% sure the way Steam's doing it now, but the way they were doing it was they would notice the OS that you bought it on or like activated the game on and then they would track playtime for like two weeks based on the OS and that's how they would determine where the sale for the OS was, if that makes sense. You can buy a game on Linux and go and play it on Windows and your account's going to register that as Windows, right. basically. Okay. Because that's the build that's being played. Whereas the build, in this case, it's like, oh, okay, these depots are being played and that's kind of how they were doing it. At least that's my initial understanding from people that I know on that end of the gaming industry. So if you buy a game and then you don't play it the first two weeks, there's just no data for that. They, you only have what you bought it under? No, no, no. The first two weeks you play it. Okay. There's games that I got that I bought on Linux that I haven't probably touched or haven't put two hours into in the first two weeks. So it's just a window. So if you buy it on Linux, they're going to see that as a Linux sale, obviously. But when you're actually tracking like what the overall percentage of a user base is, it moves over into like, okay, what are the depots being like the backend Steam depots being applied to? Are they all Windows or Mac or Linux or, you know, those kind of builds? Well, I know I'm not sending any non-Linux builds. The problem is I hate using the term track because people get all oh my god about it it's really just repositories it's all it is they're just looking at the repositories tied to the username that's basically it like the short version which version are you downloading which version are you playing yeah and that's pretty much it and i'm fine with that like whatever that's not like oh my god you're tracking everything i do it's like look at the steam hardware survey that's what they track so do what you will with it. Well, I will. Though I do find it ironic. I opened up Steam for the first time in Mac OS in like a month and a half, and I get the stupid Steam survey. <laughs> oh my gosh, of course you did. I heard something about if it showed up in one, you can do something about getting it in another one, but that's been quite a while since I heard that conversation, so I'm not sure. Short version, if I remember what you're talking about, I'm not sure if it worked with Mac and Linux, but I know with Windows and Linux, if you got the hardware survey on Linux and you just canceled and exited out of Steam, turned on your Linux computer, booted back into Steam, it would give you the hardware survey, basically. Right. Yeah. I don't know if it works that way with macOS and Linux, but the hardware survey is just whatever. It's literally just system information, so I really don't care. And it's like, oh, here's a list of your apps. Oh, here's a list. Because they look at the games that you actually have installed, ironically. And it's just hardware information. It's no different than if I popped open NeoFetch and just hit F12 on a Yawquake terminal. <laughs> NeoFetch, whatever. 
I always find it weird. People are like, so like Uber, oh, they're taking my stuff. And it's like, you look at it, it's like, no, you're really not. Because if you webcast with and you're giving your hardware information out to the world for on a YouTube video and you're preaching privacy. Not to derail conversation, which I'm good at doing, you know, saying things that are kind of tangentially. We both are. Yeah. When you're on the internet and you're using somebody's website or service, that's a little bit like when you go into a store, a physical store, and you buy something, they are tracking what you are buying because they need to restock their shelves. Now, if that store clerk were to follow you into the next store to see what you're purchasing, mm-hmm. that's a problem. And I don't see Steam doing that sort of thing. That's creepy. Right, exactly. That's what Facebook does. And that's what Google does. You got to put a nice little container, a tab container in Firefox to keep them from doing that. I have no problem with when I go onto a website and I view a web page, I want them to know what I'm interested in looking at. That's fine. If I'm using Steam and I install a game, I want them to know I'm running OpenSUSE Linux. Oh, there, I got it in. And I'm playing it on this hardware so that they can you know, make sure that they're building things or you know, they're, they're maintaining things so that I can continue to enjoy the Steam service. I'm all about giving them information that helps me out. So while I'm making video game recommendations, Wendy, you've been experimenting on an area of gaming I'm not all that keen on, personally. What's going on there? I talked about our struggles and woes last week in just getting the VR headset to work. Since that time, it has actually been running really pretty good. Now, I did say last week that we couldn't get FNAF help wanted to work on the system and my daughter was really pretty bummed about it. There was another couple games that were showing up that they had options to play VR like they were installed but we hadn't played them or I had done a clean install. It's been quite a while ago but after that those games never got reopened and you would go to start them from the in-window scene of Steam Home and they just wouldn't play. You just get a black screen both on my main monitor and inside the VR headset. So I was trying to decide, okay, how can we make these different things work? One of the things that I did was before I had the 1.4 version of the Linux Steam application, that's the one that we were using because it was an older build that was quote unquote, specially for Linux users. So an older version of it. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I need to change that. So then I set it to no betas. I didn't want it running betas at all. And I already noticed a better playability factor in the home itself. Then I wanted to see, okay, how could I get some of these other games to run? And for the most part, these are Windows games that are being played on a Linux system using Steam. So the biggest key factor in getting this to work was launching the game in flat mode first. Unplug the VR headset so it's not being read at all, not having Steam VR turned on, launching Five Nights at Freddy's Help Wanted. So it shows up in flat mode. That game can be played in flat mode just fine. Close it down, go ahead and start Steam VR, and it runs no problem. It really needed to pull in those extra libraries in order to get it work. And if you were launching it from Steam VR, it just wasn't doing that or it wasn't doing it properly. And so that fixed the issue that we were having there. Now, there was a couple other games that we got. One that my son has really enjoyed playing, A-Tech Cybernetics. This one is meant 
only for VR. It's not meant to be played in flat mode at all. But in order to get this one to work properly, I had to do that same thing too. So it launched in flat mode, which because it is a VR only game, it looked really, really funny on my main monitor. And I really didn't care because that's not how we were planning on playing it. It was just so it would launch for the first time, download any of the extra libraries that it needed to run on Steam. And then I've had no issues. Now, because I am running an RX 580, this is an older card. We can only play VR games on it for so long before we start to get some glitches and stuttering and stuff going on. So we do need to close things down and restart things up if we've been playing for more than an hour. And yes, I've got four kids. If they all each get a half hour time slot in order to play a game, we are restarting the computer to do these different things. The other thing that I did, and if you want to hear all about it, because I talk about it on the latest episode of Hardware Addicts, was my system needed a really good clean out. And because the graphics card was running so much harder, I did a deep clean on the system. And I'm planning on doing a teardown of my graphics card just because I've had it for a few years. This is a super, super dusty environment. And so it's time to not just remove it from the system and do a best clean as you, as you can with it all together. I need to completely dismantle the card, put new thermal paste on, make sure that I can get as much dust as I possibly can off that radiator and put it back together right now temperature wise. With some of the things that I've done, everything is running at really good temperature levels. Like we've talked about before, that is extremely important to me, but it's one of the additional things that I will be doing A, for the longevity of the card and B, for better gameplay in VR itself. Does the graphics card overheat? Is that what's going on then? Is it actually getting like at the thermal limits? At this point, no, we're not getting anywhere near close to thermal limits. It's running about 155 to... I think the most I've seen it, but I didn't have my fan curve turned back on. It was hitting about 170. So we're nowhere near the thermal limits of the card. We're actually right in the ranges of what is considered normal for this card. What we seem to be doing is filling up the VRAM on it. I can't get it to not display on both the monitor and the VR headset. That's kind of one of the things that I wish I could do. This graphics card, I'm already pushing it because I have two monitors set up on it, two 32 inch monitors. One of them is 4K. So I'm putting it under load with that already. And then we are running a VR headset on top of that and it's displaying the game twice so it is going to my main monitor and then it's going to the VR headset. Now it is really cool to be able to see what somebody is playing while they're playing it. I mean you don't get to see it in 3D mode and that's a completely different experience in the VR mode as compared to watching it in flat mode but it would be nice not to have to stress the graphics card and sending the signal to both places and I haven't quite figured out how to tell it hey I only want it going to the headset. Inside the VR settings, the VR home settings, you can choose it to display or not display what's being shown, but that really is only controlling VR home. It's not directly controlling what's 
what's going on inside that game. So I'll do some more playing. I'll do some more looking. But thermals are good. I just want to make sure that they stay good and that this card will last until I have the ability to get a new card. Well, it's good that the thermals are not out of whack. Now, it kind of makes me wonder why it glitches then. wonder what's actually causing to glitch if it can. Ram. I think our issue is the ram of the card is just getting bombarded, filling up and just not processing it like it should be anymore. You're displaying the image twice. It's probably, well, technically, you're actually displaying it three times, technically. Yeah, on the main screen, then once for each eye. Probably eating into a lot of the memory, if I had to guess, because you said that's an eight gig card. Yep. That could be what it is. I know newer cards are a little more optimized for VR, when at least when those cards came out. We're still trying to figure out VR. <laughs> for the most part. I mean, some people would argue people are still trying to figure out VR, but right. for the most part, I think, unfortunately, it's just going to be one of those that's just the limit of what it is because of the amount of textures and output and displays that it has to put out to. Because what happens is in order to avoid the motion sickness and all that stuff, those monitors that are attached to your face have to run at a 90 hertz refresh rate. So the idea to avoid the motion sickness is a high refresh rate, minimum 90 frames for each eye. So that's probably what's happening if I had to guess. Yeah, and these are smaller as they're being projected into your eye, so it probably doesn't take as much as... I don't know. I would guess it just doesn't take as much as projecting it on the large screen and displaying all those textures, but it is still a heck of a lot all going on on this little card that came out in 2018. We are putting it through its paces. I've definitely got my money's worth on this card, and I'm actually surprised at how well it is handling all of it. As far as the motion sickness stuff goes, that a tech game i cannot play that one at all because the movement mechanics on it you have one controller where it lets you teleport a bit but that seems to be a bit finicky ish i don't know if that's the game overall or just using that version of the game on proton and then the other way that you can move around is you like float you slide and that one gets me so dizzy so fast and it's not because the refresh rate it's because even though I know that everything is fake around me, like it's definitely video game graphics, it doesn't look like the real world, my brain knows that the signals that my eyes are getting is saying we're moving forward and we're not walking forward, we don't have that same motion of walking, we're gliding as though we are a ghost going through the room and the kids were watching me as I was trying to move in that and I was literally like waving back and forth because my brain's like we're not exactly sure what what we're doing or where we're going. Very jarring in that. But my oldest boy has no issues with it. Yeah, absolutely no issues at all. He can navigate that way. He's all over the place, uh, taking out zombies and the like and no issues with dizziness. So it could be just mom. <laughs> I know for me, I get motion sickness from using VR. And maybe it was the refresh rate wasn't high enough or something. And like, I get about like 10, 15 minutes before I'm pretty much done. Yeah, it's about like that for me. And then my eyes are kind of strained. But those of us that have maybe some more light sensitivities or eye sensitivities, VR is not the game outlet for us. But it's been really, really cool watching the family play it. It's been a joy for me to dive back into some of these situations and getting it to work on Linux. You guys have no idea how thrilled I am that we still don't have a Windows box in this house. Okay, I take that 
step back. We do have a Windows box in this house. It's my husband's and it belongs to the company he works for. It is not my Linux box. Everything else in the house is Linux only. I'm not saying you can't have a Windows box if you want to. I just prefer not to have one and not to have one extra thing out of the ordinary to maintain. So no more Windows around here. It's all working on Linux. <laughs> I totally understand. I don't even know if I even know how to use Windows anymore at this point. I don't even think Microsoft knows how to use Windows anymore. <laughs> Like when I was setting it up, it was kind of this remembered action. I knew how to do it all because it was still Windows 10. I had used Windows 10 before I'd switched to Linux. So some of that was just coming back to me as how it all worked. But then as I'm needing to download drivers and the like, you're having to go out and find those drivers. I need to go find the NVIDIA drivers for this on this website. And I need to go find these specific HTC Vive drivers on this website. There's a whole lot more bouncing around and it's so nice nice to just being able to type in the terminal because that's the way I do it. Use the GUI if you want. We've had that conversation too. But to just type in the terminal, these are the things that I want. Install them. Now I did say that I did have issues with the drivers this time, but that's because I was pulling them from the AUR. I would love to see these packaged neatly and be inside Pac-Man instead of needing to go through the AUR to find them. I'm not sure how that would work on other distributions because I haven't looked, but it was definitely some trying to have the right versions of certain packages so things will build properly. I know that can be quite a bit of a headache. I'm not saying that is the easiest thing to do on Linux because it definitely wasn't. It did take some dedication, some trial and error, and my daughter looking down the back of my neck like, Mom, is it ready to go yet? Hey, Mom, can I play that game yet? In order to get it all set up and working. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topic. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video or on the contact form by visiting dealandextend.com slash contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links in the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, Linux Saloon, Destination Linux, and so many more at destinationlinux.network. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome swag. Matt likes the gamer-centric I paused my game to be here t-shirt. Me personally, I want the Hardware Addicts desk mat. This thing is huge. I love the graphics on it. Gotta get me one. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. Mm -hmm.